Christ our hope in life and death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I believe it was Spurgeon that said, I've learned to kiss the waves that thrust me against the rock of ages. Man, what a great perspective on when the storms of life howl against us. So good to see each and every one of you this morning, especially those of you that uh, have made time and space to gather here with us on site. For those of you watching online, it's so good to have you. There's nothing like being here in person. Uh, get here as soon as you can so that you can be with us together. Take your Bibles and open them to Nehemiah chapter number 10. While you're doing that this morning, just by way of uh, introduction to our text, um, last I mentioned this by way of just a, an announcement, update family business last week, but um, I want to mention it to you again for now. Josh will wait. Just kidding. Um, I only say that because I haven't picked on Josh in a while. So, um, Last week, uh, about a week and some change ago, we got to uh, be a part of Autumn Lowry's wedding. It's now Autumn Smith. And so she was able to join in holy matrimony with Braden. It was a wonderful, wonderful time and, and celebration. Wonderful uh, presentation of the gospel. Just a gospel-saturated service. It was, it was excellent. And Pastor Trevor of Ridgewood Church there in Greer, South Carolina, did such a beautiful job with the sermon. And he talked about how that marriage that day was really about these two stories coming together. And a wedding is all about stories, and it's really a parable for the greatest story ever told. Christ redeeming humanity as the bridegroom coming for his bride. It's just amazing the weight that Scripture gives to marriage and to weddings and to families. It's, it's remarkable. Beautiful, beautiful story. One of the things that a couple does, a Christian couple does, when they come together, it's not a social construct that they're acknowledging. It's not a contract with stipulations that they're acknowledging. It is a covenant that they're entering into before God and man. And that word covenant, for those of you in the room, that's not a word you hear a lot. You're like, well, it's in the church title. Yeah, it is. It's Grace Covenant Church. Um, and it's this covenant of grace. It's an agreement of grace. It is an understanding and a commitment of grace that God has made to us. That's what it means, understanding. And so we're going to see today God's people in Nehemiah entering into a covenant to keep the covenant. If you saw the little uh, heads up video I give you each week, I said there were a lot of bad sermon titles for this. You know, covenant squared. No, you know. A covenant to keep a covenant. Uh, a covenant times a covenant equals, no, I'm sorry, I'll stop. Okay, moving on. So, uh, and, Jer and uh, you know, it's interesting, Jeremy, he didn't even thank me for not having him read Nehemiah 10, 1 through 27. So I told him next time I'm going to have him read Psalm 119 in its entirety. I've got a few little uh, sermon reading, you know, weapons there. So chapters and verses are wonderful. They weren't in the original text. And every once in a while when you're reading the Bible as a narrative, it'll come up and you're like, hmm, that's a weird verse to end on. Seems like that should have been in the next chapter. Well, that's kind of what happens here. The thought really picks up for chapter 10 in the last verse of 
chapter 9. They say, because of this, what is the this? Well, where have we been? The word of God had been read in chapter 8 and chapter 9. There was repentance and confession. They had a six-hour church service. You think I preach long. They had a six-hour church service. Three hours of just reading the Bible. No exposition. And then three hours of confession and worship. And then there was teaching. Y'all got, how long y'all got? I don't have that long today. Okay. So in response to this, because of this, they chose to renew the covenant. Let me give you the first header that I want you to write down. There are three this morning. The third one has a few subpoints, But the first thing I want you to notice from our text is they committed together. They committed together. This involved everyone. Look at verse 28 with me in chapter 10. The Bible says, it was just read it, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, sons, daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, everybody, this covered everybody, everybody committed together. They decided that this was not going to be some hyper-individualistic faith journey. It involved everyone. It was a community. They didn't see themselves as individuals only. Now, you want to be counter-cultural in 2022. Revisit the beauty of community in this age of relentless individualistic autonomy all right so young people what am I talking about this thing that the only person that matters in life is who I see in the mirror and I'm it's a small mirror and I'm just looking at me right the worship song of the age is it's all about me for my glory and my fame and all this is for me we want to self-publish every thought we have without filtering it at all and uh, man some of us want to give people a piece of our mind and we don't have much to spare it would be good to dial it back just a hair they decided they knew that if they had any shot at success in walking with God they needed one another can I just encourage you this morning it's the reason we gather every Sunday not for an event not to mark time not just to sing songs not just to pray prayers not just to read scripture together but we acknowledge by our coming together that we need one another We need one another on this walk. Individualistic living is not the way the work gets done. It's not the way that their lives worked. It's not the way that they demonstrated their faith to the nations, the way that God had called them to. All of humanity was created for community. We were made in the image of God, and God has chosen to reveal himself. Let's see, quiz time. How did God reveal himself? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you're old school, you'd say ghost. It works. It's all good. God revealed himself in that way. God exists in community. God created man in his image. And he said it was very good when he created man. Then shortly after, he didn't reconsider himself, but it was his plan unfolding. It's very good that I've created humanity, but it is not good for man to be alone. Newsflash. When God said it's not good for man to be alone, he didn't then remove his glasses placed them between his forefinger and his thumb, put the corner in the corner of his mouth and said, I'm going to give him a dog. That's going to be man's best friend. I'm going to give him a cat. He never said that. But uh, just, just kidding. I know. Send the hate mail to Pastor D at Grace Covenant. No, sorry. But um, 
That's not God's solution. God's solution for the loneliness of man was mankind. Now, some of you say, I'd like to opt out of that. I get that. I get that. But you don't get to. We were made for each other. We were made for community. God's design for humanity was not to function alone, but to function in community. So here the Israelites recognize the power of being together. They recognized that the work was better if they were together. It was impossible for them to do it alone. They recognized that life was better together. It, it, was, not, it was not doable to be a people for God if they were all just persons. <laughs> they recognized that the worship that God had commanded them was to be done together. So they signed their names. They knew who was in and who was out. I'm looking at uh, Brother Likens, who's coached all manner of the sports, haven't you, Brother Likens? All manner. <clears throat> now, at some point in tryouts, and I did try out for a sports team, and that's the end of the story, by the way. <laughs> There's no more details I will share with you on what it was or how that went. But... Um, on tryouts, you publish like there's a list, it's signing up, everybody comes because their mama said they could play ball and they're awesome, their daddy thinks they're going to be the next star, right? And then you do, you do cuts, don't you? You have to do cuts, right? No, this was back when you had to do cuts. I don't know if anybody does cuts anymore. It's 2022. Everybody's awesome all the time and perfect. Back in the day, you actually had to be able to play to be on a team. So you get on the team, they do cuts, and then there's the roster. So if I got cut and I come up and I'm like, I'm on the team, I'm on the team, all anybody has to do is look at the roster and go like, no, well, they probably look at me and go, no, no. <laughs> but they look at the roster and say, no, uh The Israelites said, we're going to go with God and we're signing our name for anybody that wants to see it. We're committing to do life God's way. Now, spoiler alert, Y'all know how this ends, right? Like Israel can't keep the law on their own. I, I hate to give this away for you, but as we get to the end of Nehemiah, they really can't keep covenant too well on their own. You know why? Because they need a Savior to keep it for them. You and I can't keep covenant on our own. We need a Savior to keep it for them. But there's a lot of great application in these Old Testament books. It's the Bible Jesus used, so I thought we'd pick it up. Is that okay? So Nehemiah here is teaching us something about the power of together. When you and I became Christians, and by the way, you become a Christian. You're not born a Christian. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own way, and the Lord has laid on Christ, the Lord, the iniquity of us all. We were sinners in need of a Savior, and when we were convicted of our sins and confronted with the reality of Christ and said yes to Jesus and no to self, we were grafted into the family of God by God's grace. It's God's grace doing it. It's an amazing thing. It's awesome. But I have to say that because I said when we became Christians, you're not born a Christian. Praise God if you're born into a Christian family. Hallelujah. I was not. So there's hope. There's hope. Uh, being, it's the old pastors used to say, you know, just because you parked in a fire station doesn't make you a fire truck. You've actually got to become a Christian God's way. But when God saved you, he saved you from yourself into the family of God. That's what he did. He called us into a family. God saved us from something to something. That means we can't say, I love God, but I hate church people. If that's your bumper sticker, please remove it before you get home today. I love God, but I don't care for God's people. 
One of my pastor friends, Don DeGreat, says, I love all y'all, and some of you I actually like. I, I, I love it, but I just don't have a taste for church. Well, Jesus had a taste for church. So if we say we love God, that means we endeavor to love the things God loved, and Jesus died for the bride. I, I love God, but I, I don't need theology and doctrine. Just give, me, just give me Jesus. Well, you don't get Jesus without doctrine and theology. That's how we learn right thinking to get to him. Doesn't mean you've got to have a master's degree in divinity to understand the Bible. Praise God you don't. The places to get a reputable one these days, flip, are fewer and fewer. You, you can't say you love God and you have no appetite for God's word. Well, you can say that, but it's a contradiction. If this thing stays closed and on the shelf and is only an accessory for you to bring to the church on Sundays, it's really difficult for you to say with much credibility, I want to walk with Jesus. That's not how this works. Being in covenant relationship with God means living and giving our lives sacrificially to his people. So much of our lives are tailored to our own personal experiences. Think about it. One writer says, we get rid of the apps on our phones we don't like. We find new ones we do want. We move them from page to page according to our personal needs. If we're not careful, we can think of church like an app store. It's not. What we need to have are Christ-centered lives, not choice-centered lives. That's almost anti-American to say. I'm okay with that. We need to have Christ-centered lives, not choice-centered lives. It's not a drop-down menu that you pick and choose from. You don't get to pick and choose as a child of God in covenant with God and with his people whether or not you want to be challenged and discipled. I, I just, I'm not going to be teachable. That's not how this works. You don't get to choose whether or not you want to submit to his word. You don't get to choose whether or not you're going to live or, or, or rather love a, a particular person. No, if we're walking with God, God is working in us and through us to make these things a reality. We are the people of God. That's God's design. So God's people here knew that the only chance they had was to do this together. What's the first commitment they made? Let's look back at the text, verse 29. They committed to God's word. If you're taking notes, I'd write that down. So they committed together. Secondly, they committed to God's word. That seems important. If you're going to be God's people, the Bible probably is somewhat important, you think? At Grace Covenant Church, the Bible's really important. Some of the feedback we get from our guests that come occasionally, it's like, I've never heard that much Bible in a church service. We think it's kind of important for church people to do churchy things and, and do it based on God's word. They joined with their brothers, verse 29, the nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, watch this, and to observe and do everybody say do. do they observed and wanted to do all of the commandments of the lord's our lord's and his rules and his statutes they realized just like joshua that if they were going to have any success as being god's people and doing god's work they were going to have to find their joy and their longing fulfilled as they submitted to the word of god 
The Bible says in Joshua 1, 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful, watch this, careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. The, the Bible tells us, speaking of itself, the word of God, we want to hide in our hearts, Psalm 119, that we might not sin against God. Everything in this word is profitable for us. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, as for you, continue what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And, and, and what's the point here? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God, the people of God, might be complete and equipped for every good work. We can't know Jesus without the word. We can't follow Jesus without the word. And we can't do good works that glorify God without the word. Why? Because forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God is the author and the finisher, not only of our faith, but of his word. And he wants us to be a people of the book, to live by the book and to live in the book. Once you know what the Bible represents itself to be, then, then, then you kind of get over some of the social and cultural objections to the word of God. You may have friends that are doubters and haters that say, well, that thing's riddled with mistakes. I challenge you to do like some of the precious men of God I know in this room do. They'll take their Bible and say, show me one. Well, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know exactly where it is, but I mean, you can't believe everything in there. No, 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 I do. Go ahead, take it. You can keep it. Let's meet again next week. Hey, let's start in Genesis 1 and talk through some of the mistakes you find. Let's start in John 3. I'm giving you like, I'm teaching you how to be evangelistic with a hostile person, right? It's full of mistakes. It's not. It, it, it really isn't. Once we come to understand the Bible, and I, I, love, I love what, I think it was Ann Graham Lotz that said this. She said, I, I recognize that when I open my Bible, I need the Holy Spirit. And the only shot I've got at really seeing this for what it needs to be and, and letting it transform me so I can do what's in there is if the Holy Spirit is helping me to understand it. She said, so when I get too confident in my own way, I'll pull up a chair and sit it beside of me at my Bible study to remind me there's another person in the room that I need to help me understand. Now, she's not trying to be hokey about that, and I don't, think she, I don't think she sees anybody there. She didn't say that. But the point is that visual cue that she needs to depend on God for understanding. People that want to get in the Word, that want to understand the Word, funny thing, they get in it and they understand it because the Holy Spirit helps them to see it. Here's what the Bible is. It is the verbal self-revelation of God. It's not human beings' ideas about God. It's not human beings' account of their experiences with God. It is God speaking and revealing himself to the world. So, so you can't know God if you don't live in the book. Young and old alike. 
We, we believe and we contend, based on this being the self-revelation of God, that it is without error. Here's another phrase. It's awesome. And without any mixture of error. Like they didn't even use a dirty spoon to stir it up with. You with me? Like it doesn't have anything in there that would pull us away from the truth of who God is. This is God's word. I want us to think about the Bible the way Jesus thought about the Bible. I want us to have the high view of Scripture that our Savior had of Scripture. Now this commitment doesn't guarantee success as we'll see later on in this series. But you have no shot at success as the people of God if you don't have your lives anchored in the book. It's just the way it works. When we follow God's ways, we demonstrate that we are a blessing to those around us. I got ahead of myself just for a minute. They use the words blessing and curses. That's not New Testament language we get to throw around. So if you got somebody throwing around blessing and curses all the time, <clears throat> you can go, oh, okay. And slowly back into the hedge, right? Yeah. Okay. Hi, my phone's ringing. I got over here, right? So, so we obviously can bless people and we can do that. But this whole thing about cursing people, th this is under the, the old covenant. You remember Moses saying, I put before you this day two ways, a blessing and a curse. If you follow God, I mean, the principle's still the same. The only way to live a blessed life on God's terms is to walk with God. And if you don't walk with God, you are cursed. I mean, that's the reality. The language is a little different under the new covenant, but let's just examine that for a minute. If we follow God's ways, we are showing the world around us what a blessing looks like. That's true. And when we, the people of God, ignore God's ways and do it our way, then we're behaving like those who are outside of the blessing. We look like a cursed people when we take our cues for how to do life and marriage and money, and relationships from the world. We don't look like a blessed people. We look like a confused people. God's not the author of confusion. He's given us his word to guide us. They committed to God's word. They committed together. And then the last thing I want you to see this morning is they committed to live differently. They committed to live differently. You say, that's nine, that's actually ten verses he's going to cover with that last point? Yeah, yeah, we're not getting out of here anytime soon, but it is your last big point. <laughs> Just kidding. They committed to live differently. Now, now, there are three areas they highlight here that are important for us to notice. We have a church covenant as Grace Covenant Church for our membership. It, it's, it's just an understanding. It's what it looks like. I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. This, the, the application of the service is not to go get the church covenant, but it's available, and you'll see what I'm talking about. We commit as God's people to the whole Bible, right? I mean, we just commit, this is God's word, we want to live our lives to it. And yet, and yet, sometimes there are seasons in life, moms, dads, maybe, I don't know, there are seasons in life where there are certain areas that we need special focus on. Is that just the Millers or other families in here relate? Young man, young woman trying to walk with Jesus. Like there are times in your life when you struggle with this and you're not struggling with that. I think it was Chuck Swindoll that said, I get so proud of myself and my spiritual disciplines, I'll get three of them, like, nailed down, and I think, you know, I should probably write it, and before I can finish the sentence about writing a book on those three spiritual disciplines I've got nailed down, I look around, I've got six of them that are disasters. He said, I gotta, oh, oh, no, 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 I gotta go back over here. So, so there are times that we focus on different things. Israel, they're gonna show us where they were struggling, 
And I think there's some application for us today. Look at verse 30 and 31 with me. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land nor take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grains on the Sabbath day to sell, we're not going to buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, verses 32 through 39, they're going to talk about how they're going to provide money for the temple, for, the, you know, for this thing to happen, for the worship, for the house of God. I'll get to that in a moment. This isn't a summary of God's law. They're not trying to summarize God's law. They're focusing in on areas of concern they had based on what they were struggling with and where they had let their guard down for years. So I'm going to try to give you these subpoints in a way that they make sense to us today. So if I gave you a subpoint that said, intermarrying with neighbor pagan nations, like you just want to go apply that immediately to your life. Like you want to go out and say, what would you learn in church day? Something about intermarrying with pagan neighbor nations. Nations. My job is not to give you a history lesson this morning, but to help you be able to apply what it is that you read. You ready? So here's my first header. Uh, they were protecting their families. You, you think there might be any help for us today in that? You see, from the, Old from the earliest days in the Old Testament, when God established the people and, and brought them out of Egypt in Exodus he told them time and time again don't marry unbelievers don't marry pagans don't marry people in these other tribes that are worshiping other gods it's going to destroy not only that family it's going to infect that neighborhood it's going to infect that community it's going to cripple the nation you're going to compromise in areas and what did the family say no that won't happen to us no that's for we understand why you're saying that, but I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to marry these two pagans, right? Is that okay? I know there's a rule, but it's not going to happen to us. And what happened? Every time it crippled the family, it crippled the community, it affected the nations. God had commanded them time and time again. In Exodus 34, he, because he is a jealous God, he said, if you go after the inhabitants of the land and if you make covenants with them at that most sensitive level, he uses some strong language in here. He said, if you make a covenant with them and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you're invited to eat of the sacrifice, he says, and then you take their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. It's a strong word. Here's what it means. You'll abandon everything everything in all sense for the pleasure that you see ahead of you. You'll deny the truth and believe a lie because you've been duped. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Huh. 2 Corinthians six fourteen. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? You can come to your pastor and say, I'm going to marry this person. And I'll say, tell me about their walk with Jesus. Well, they're not a Christian, but I'm going to change them. No. I see some, some families, some husbands and wives in here going, mm-mm, mm, -mm, mm. <laughs> oh, I can't, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. They're not talking about you if you're sitting beside of them. There's somebody else they know. Um, adults tend not to change except if they're radically changed. By God. Don't marry unbelievers. Why? Because it invites compromise. What's a marriage? Covenant relationship. But marriage is all about what? 
compromise. And God's saying, you don't have permission to do that with pagans. I don't want to chase this too far. I'm looking at my time. I'm conscious this morning, moderately. One of the reasons the American church has struggled to figure out her place in the American culture so much is because she is riddled with compromise for political gain. And we keep having the rug pulled out from underneath us every single time we do it. Hey, there's been some great victories of late. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. But we keep compromising and keep compromising until there's very little Christ left in the Christian church. We've lost our influence. Why shouldn't we? When we look like the cursed world instead of the blessed people of God. When we lose our distinction as being a different people, heading upstream when everybody else is heading downstream, we lose our edge and our influence. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. You don't have to sell out to a pagan to try to make something happen. It's going to blow up in your face every time. God has ordained the family beginning with the marriage of a man and woman in Genesis all through the Old Testament, and I don't have time to chase this. It's not the topic of the sermon, but Jesus affirmed it in the New Testament. That's not in the New Testament. Yes, it is. Pick up the Bible. Let's do a Bible study together. It's all there, men and women to be married. Um, That's the way God ordained it. Our Christian marriages, though, I want to tell you something, and our family should look differently than those outside the church. We ought to think differently. We should be raising our children differently. Single men and women in the room. I'm not leaving you out. We ought to treat each other differently than our lost single men and women peers. We ought to honor one another. Nobody ought to be on the prowl in church looking for a bride. Hello? Like people should know they're not in in an unsafe place. You know, somebody comes in and goes, like this to me and says, I don't know who walks like this. I'm just doing a character. <laughs> hey, you got any single ladies in the room? I'll say, you're at the wrong grace covenant. That one's down the road. Like, no, stop. I saw a thing the other day, a little Instagram post this pastor had put on. And, and he, was at, he said, I, uh, the, the, the title of my post today is, I need a wife. I thought, oh, I wonder if he's going to preach you know, about Jesus. No, no, he was on asking, hmm. Yeah, I had I'd seen all I needed to see. Um, our Christian marriages, our families, the way we treat singles, it should look differently. And they knew that and they were like, you know what, we've got to get back to what God said because this other thing keeps blowing up in our face. Listen, sin will take you farther than you ever expected to go. It'll keep you longer than you intended to stay and it'll cost you more than you ever expected to pay. Do not, do not, do not compromise with those outside the faith. Stand your ground. Dads, protect those daughters and sons. And steward them, shepherd, I love the advice, run as hard and fast as you can run for Jesus, young people, single men and women, and then look and find that person running right with you.
and run together. Don't try to think you're going to change some pagan to be a Christian. Second thing in their living with distinction is they were going to honor the Sabbath. Verse 31, they're going to honor the Sabbath. They knew that doing this would cost them. It would cost them materially. It was going to cost them in their convenience. But they needed to remind themselves that this was one of the main distinctions of the Jewish people. The Hebrews people, one of their main distinctions from outside nations looking in was the fact that they shut everything down one day a week. They honor the Sabbath. Why? Other nations were working like, oh, no, we got to get it done. The Sabbath was not made to be this um, rule-laden day. The Pharisees really hijacked it, made it something awful that nobody wanted to do. Like everybody was scared to death on the Sabbath instead of resting in the goodness of God. But, but the disciples had hijacked it. Jesus comes back in Mark 2 and said, listen, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The, the principle is this. God had instituted rest. It was part of his creative order, and it's still part of his instruction to us today. You and I were made to rest. Now, don't abuse it. I know some teens in the room that just got their proof text for their week, the rest of the week. Mom, the pastor said, we were made to rest, so I'm taking the week off (laughs) to have a Shabbat with the Lord this week and something about a Sabbath. And it says all debts will be forgiven. So that cheeseburger money I borrowed from you last week, it's the year of Jubilee. So <laughs> just appreciate that. I'll be in my room. Wake me up on Saturday. No, that's not what's going on here. But when we rest, what we're saying is we can't do it all. Only God can. When we dial it down and shut down, we say, God, you're in charge. I'm not. That's what Sabbath is about. When's the last time you stepped out of the noise and stepped out of the traffic and really rested in the fact that God's in charge and you're not? As the people of God today, I'm telling you, I'm I'm not trying to bind your conscience or put a law on you in any way, but what if you did take a day off? You know what? The science says, oh, science. The science says you would benefit from that. Your health would benefit Uh, Your work and focus at work, you'd actually be more focused at work if you stopped thinking about work all the time. Your family would benefit. Some of them would get reacquainted with you. Who's that man? That's dad. His name is dad. (laughs) Why? Because the principle is sound. Even without all the pharisaical rules and the regulations and the legalism, take a day of rest. And rest in the goodness of God. And resting means hide the devices. Burn them if you need to. Pick up a book. They they have pages. They make noises. Pick up a book. Grab a canvas and a brush. Create something. Look at something. Sculpt something. If you want to learn to sculpt, I know somebody that can help you with that. Make something beautiful. Go behold the beauty of God's creation. Lastly, this, this morning, and you're glad I'm almost out of time, especially when you see the last verse. It's about money. Um, in, in the last section of this, it said they're going to give generously to the house of God. So they're living distinct from the world around them. They, they saw family different. They saw their calendars differently than the world around them. And they saw their money use as different than the world around them. Listen, if you count this up, you're like, oh, good. They talk about tithing here. I'll be fast. If we add it up, you ready to add up? Let's just add up what's here. You ready for this? This is awesome. Some of you are like, I want to tithe. I want you to do it this way. <laughs> Wait, you hear it. Uh, annual percentage, they gave 30% of the shekel. 10% is out the door. So we're, at thir- we're starting at 30. 
No takers? For those of you watching online, no hands are up. Okay. They gave grain, all right, that second offering, grain offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, wood offerings, first fruit of the ground, first fruit of the trees, first fruit of the fruit of the trees. I don't know how that's different, but anyway. Our firstborn sons to do the work at the temple and the firstborn cattle for sacrifices. There's your ten. Ten different offerings. Can you imagine? Our deacons would have calves that were like that if we had to pass the offering plate ten times on a Sunday, right? And now the grain offering, and now the this offering, and now the that offering. A portion was given to the priests, a portion was given to the Levites. They collected the tithes, and then the Levites, on their way to the priests, were required to give a tenth of what they had collected so they didn't miss out on giving. That's a whole lot of giving, y'all. Somebody just touched your neighbor and said, he's out of time. He needs to move on. I want you to look at the last phrase in the last verse of chapter 10. It sums it up. It says, we will not neglect the house of our God. Now, we're in the Old Testament era, in this portion of the covenant, at this season of time. They're behaving differently than other Israelites did at certain seasons, right? This is what they're doing at this time. This is descriptive of what's happening. But the prescriptive principle that we get here is that God's people are generous and they're faithful and at times they're sacrificial. Have y'all heard that ever, anywhere before do this if you've been to like three church services like I've said that before okay good just check and make sure what does that tell you it tells you that they were intentional the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9 that we're going to give as we've decided in our heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to us so that we have all sufficiency in all things at all times and he can make uh, us abound in every good work What's, what's going on here? Listen, because of what God has done in us in 2022 as the church of the living God, this text from Nehemiah speaks to us today. We make a commitment together. We commit and we commit to be a body based on the word of God. We, we don't have a separate rule book that we lay on top of this and say, now we're gonna follow this first and hope the word lines up with it. No, that's the wrong church. That's not Grace Covenant. This is our authority, right? This is where you get to check my work and check the pastor. This is where the Bereans, after the pastor preached, they sat down, looked through the scriptures to make sure Paul had dotted every I, crossed every T that pointed to Christ. So, so here we are in 2022, God working in us, and we endeavor as a people, watch this, to live differently. As a people, we want our marriages and the way we treat single men and women to point to Christ. As a people, we want our time management to point to Jesus. If somebody grabs our planner, we want them to see Jesus. If somebody grabs our phone and sees how we've texted or emailed or how we've chatted, we want them to see Jesus. And if somebody follows our money trail, we want them to see Jesus. We spend our resources differently than the world around us we're in this together you don't have to do this alone that's a lot you're like how in the world will I keep up with this I'm glad you asked that's why God called you out of self-isolation and into the family of God this is not a social club it's not a service community organization this is a family committed to help one another be disciple making disciples who live differently because of who Jesus is 
and what he's done. As Julia comes this morning to play a reflection piece before we come to the Lord's table together, when we enter into a covenant, that's what we're doing. We're committing to one another, to hold one another accountable. Not, you didn't, but to encourage one another, to be a blessing to one another, to celebrate when we need to celebrate, to mourn when we need to mourn, to catch others when they fall, to rescue those who trip and fall. You can't do that alone. It has to be together. How are you living today? Everybody in this room is committed to some kind of way of life. It's either your own way based on your rule and that's going to end in destruction according to the truth of God's word or it's God's way which says by default I need the Lord and I need help. How you living? Let's pray. Father, in this war-torn world that we live in, with mankind in open rebellion against you, the holy God, we marvel that you have made a way for us. You've called us out of sin, out of darkness, into the marvelous light, and so we come to this table this morning with a sense of awe, grateful that our salvation has come from a Savior. We've been saved, saved from our sin, saved from eternal death, saved from the wrath of to come and for such a salvation God today we celebrate with this good and holy meal together in Jesus name let the church say amen